Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Jesus says, Enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, life's like a journey, isn't it? We're all headed somewhere. I hope we're headed in the right direction. And Jesus capitalizes on that metaphor of life being a journey. And he says to start this journey out, you've you got to take the right entryway. Take the small gate. The, the word straight uh, could be translated as a narrow gate. It could be translated as a small gate, a, a restrictive gate, one in which you can almost envision people have to enter single file. As opposed to the other gate that's mentioned here where it's broad enough for people just to pile through. So he says to start this journey, be sure and take the small gate. That'll get you going in the right direction. And he contrasts that and says, because the other gate is wide. The way is broad. It leads to destruction. And that's where the majority of people are headed. So there's only one path that leads to eternal life. There's only one path, one gate, that truly enters into the kingdom. And the only way to distinguish that correct path from all the others is the gate is little, it's small, it's narrow. The road is difficult. The road is less traveled. And the wide gate is where the crowd is. The wide gate's the easy one to get through. So you can check constantly if you're on the right path or not. It's getting a little crowded. You ought to check out where you are. If it seems like you're standing with the majority, you ought to check out which path you're on. Entering the gate is a metaphor. This whole thing's metaphorical. It's a metaphor, number one, for coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm the door, is what he said. In this case, he says, enter at the gate. It's metaphorical for accepting him, believing in him, following him. Now, I've mentioned the DDK. It's on your notes, I believe. If it isn't, you can write it down. D-I-D-A-C-H-E, DDK. I don't intend to throw strange terms around to you to impress you. But I do intend to familiarize you with things that are, should be beneficial to you. So DDK looks like didatch or something, doesn't it? 
You should become familiar with this term. You might, might want to highlight that on your notes. You might want to put a note beside it, learn this, remember this. Why? Because the didache, in the Greek, it means a teaching. And there was a, there was a Christian treatise that was written in the mid-first century. We're talking around 50 A.D., 60 A.D., 70 A.D. It's a little difficult to dis- determine exact date of the creation of this document. But the title on this document is The Teaching of the Apostles. Now, that's an interesting document. They got together and they wrote down certain things that they thought we should know for the rest of the earthly existence of the church. And because that word teaching, Didache, is found in the heading of this, the teaching of the apostles, they just shortened the document to being the Didache. Those of you who have internet, Feel free to go home and to search Didache. It's a short document. It's got like 15 chapters, and each chapter is like a paragraph long. And so it's, it's a short document, but you are reading the teachings that the apostles put down on paper that will teach you about, uh, well, let me, let me sh- show you how this, this starts out. It teaches you on several different things. It teaches you on, on rites and rituals of the church. It, it teaches you on uh, this opening to the DDK. It begins like this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. The way of life then is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And do not do to one another what you would not want done to you. Now, doesn't that summarize what I preached last week? Are you beginning to see how absolutely fundamental and vital those things are to our Christian walk? The apostles who walked with Jesus and learned from the Master, came away and wrote their teachings down on the paper, and the very first thing they said, you need to know as a Christian, is what I just read to you. There's two paths. You have to choose the right path. Don't choose the wrong path. There's a great difference between the two. And the way of life is simply love God, love your neighbor, and do unto others what you want them to do unto you. That embodies everything about why we serve God. And so when it gets too complicated, you have to go back to ABC, don't you? Now, here's the interesting thing about what was said in the opening remarks of the Didache, is that this theme of everything being divided into one or the other, no third choice. There is no middle ground. So entering the gate means coming to Jesus and entering the kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom except through Jesus. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the entry point. You cannot have favor with God without coming through Jesus. That's the focal point. That's why he's saying enter at the narrow gate. Can you people see, or in this day and age, in the United States of America, where it's almost becoming a post-Christian nation, we're, we're edging that direction. 
Can you see where the world believes Jesus to be the insignificant gate? Can you see where the majority are not trying to get through that gate? They're trying to get through other disciplines, other philosophies, other gods. But don't worry, that that gate, that's archaic, that's antique, that's old-fashioned. That's not to be considered important. We've got more important things to focus on. But Jesus, no, who's he? Who wants him? He's the small gate. Jesus said, that's the one you have to enter. And then there's something else metaphorical about this enter at the gate. It's not just coming into relationship with Jesus, but it's also measuring every decision we have to make every day that we live. We make judgments all the time, don't we? Many of those have great moral, ethical impact. And so in that instance, we're also to consider ourselves as whether we are traveling on the wide, broad, easy street, or whether we're choosing the difficult one. That's where it gets difficult for us. Because when we are going through it, when we're tested, when we're tried, when we're discouraged, all we want is easy street. Admit it, people. I just wish the highway didn't have all these bumps. I just wish there weren't so many hills to have to climb. I just wish the path wasn't so rocky and steep and treacherous and winding. Just give me a wide open highway for a while, God. But I don't see any indication that having gone through the narrow gate and being on the narrow path, that there's a lot of four-lane in that. It is a tough road. And when I have to make moral decisions, I'm probably going to be making, by this definition, I'm probably going to be making unpopular decisions. I'm probably going to be making decisions most other people would recommend against or might think I'm foolish for doing that. It means you will not be following majority. You will not be doing what the crowd recommends you do you will be swimming upstream you'll feel like a christian salmon (laughs) couldn't help yourself could you you just couldn't help yourself now i have to edit the sermon tomorrow Look for the narrow gate and stay right. Make those moral choices every day that you live. See, the lazy and the undisciplined will follow the crowd. It's the easiest way to do it. But entering the narrow gate and staying on the straight and narrow requires deliberate thought and effort. Why is the gate narrow? It's narrow, number one, because it demands discipline. The wide gate is wide because it doesn't. Do whatever you want and keep on traveling. The only problem is, Jesus said, it dumps into hell. But the narrow gate is narrow because it requires discipline. Are you listening to me, friends? If you're going 
to come to Jesus, if you're going to enter through Him, if you want to get into the kingdom, if you're going to travel the narrow road, it requires discipline. That means if you have a habit of running a filthy mouth, you're going to have to get to work on this because that doesn't work in kingdom ethics. If you've got a nasty streak in your life between Sundays, you're going to have to work on that because that's not a part of the narrow discipline of going through the little gate and staying on the tough road. If you're doing things, saying things, listening to things, watching things that you should not be, you're going to have to get some discipline in your life. Get control. You're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Because living an undisciplined life, you're running with the wrong group. You belong over in the wide gate. They do anything they want. They talk any way they want to talk. They cheat when they want to cheat. They lie when they want to lie. You don't want to listen to the, uh, the truths of the Bible. You don't want to listen to the standards set forth in Scripture when the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. These are the things that go along with going through the little gate, walking on the narrow road. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live a disciplined life. Undisciplined, go to the other road. Follow the crowd. Plunge into hell. But if you're going to come into the kingdom, you're going to have to get serious about living a life that pleases God and cleaning up a few things that have been getting a little bit tattered in your life. It's narrow because the kind of discipline that goes along with walking through the narrow gate, the small gate, Walking the narrow road is so different from the world's philosophies. See, the world says you are justified in hating your enemy. But we've already seen Jesus say you cannot hate your enemy. You have to love your enemy. And that's easy to preach and easy to teach. But it's so hard to do when you have an enemy in your face. When you are so angry at somebody, they have done you wrong. And you want to hurt them. And suddenly you realize that Jesus said you have to somehow find a way to love your enemy. You know, that's a tough thing to put in the face of somebody who's going through something in their life. And you try to encourage them for somebody's just done them wrong. You have to love them. Oh, they will turn on you right now. They don't want to hear that. They're in no mood to love anybody, much less their enemy. It requires discipline. The world says what you do in your private life is your business, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Jesus said what goes on in your private life is God's business. If you commit adultery in your heart, you have offended God. You, have, you are guilty. See, there's the, the whole difference between the, the world's values and opinions and recommendations and what God says. The world says justice is served. When you go back and you do to others what they just got through doing to you. And God says that if they slap you on the face, just turn the other cheek. If they abuse you, pray for them. And it's so opposite. Narrow road. Wide road. 
It takes discipline. Number two, it's narrow. It's small. Because it requires people to turn from their sin in order to follow God. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, If a man has good corn or wood or boards or pigs to sell and can make better chairs or knives, crucibles or church organs than anybody else, you'll find a broad, hard-beaten road to his house, though it be in the woods. Now, somebody read that, and they shortened that up because that's beautiful, that's poetic, that's eloquent. But somebody shortened that up to where it ended up with the familiar saying that we have, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. So, if you take a church and you put a pastor in there that's going to present an easier gospel, the world will beat a path to their door. Let the modern-day preachers offer cheap grace, and they'll be able to build multi-million dollar buildings. Fill the American pulpits with inspirational speakers and motivational speakers instead of prophets. And they will come, and they will come by the thousands. Build a wide gate for the church and a broad path and make it easy, and everybody love one another. And nobody should ever be told they're wrong because that would hurt their feelings. You might offend them. And you will fill that church up. There will be no shortage of takers for that kind of a gospel. But if you preach the truth, you're constructing a narrow gate. You're not trying to build a better gospel so the world can beat a path to your door. I'm not. Some are. They're trying to update the truth, update the gospel. They're trying to widen it. They're trying to broaden it. They're trying to make big gates and wide highways and everybody come and let's be a part of it. But Jesus said the gate is small, the road is narrow, and we have no business trying to widen it. And few there will be that will dare to enter in and travel that road. Number three, it's small gate because it requires special righteousness. And we've read about that righteousness in this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said you have to have a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the hypocritical Pharisees. You have to have a righteousness that focuses on eternal gain instead of earthly rewards and earthly applause and approval and comforts. You have to have a righteousness that leaves your judgment to God and doesn't take it upon yourself to curse others and judge them. But God will take care of it in the end. Come on, people. How many of you here today? Raise your hand just because I don't want you to go to sleep. How many of you had somebody done you terribly wrong and it hurt? Yeah, of course. Of course you have. And aren't you just wanting judgment day to hurry up? Aren't you just longing for that day when God makes all the wrongs right? When judgment is executed upon that which is wrong, and you don't even have to have a personal experience of having been done wrong. You just see injustices in this world, and you're just looking forward to the day when God is going to make it right. I kind of identify with those people in the book of Revelation who were under the, seen under the seal, those martyrs, and their prayer was, How long do we have to wait, God? 
How long do we have to wait? I feel like I've been with them many times. God, I see things going wrong. I see things that are unfair. It just drives me nuts, and I feel like these people crying out, How long? I know, God, you're going to get the last word. I just wish you would hurry up. I'm going crazy seeing these injustices, and it's not being corrected quick enough for me. But I have to have a righteousness that leaves it to God in His timing. Number four, it's a small gate because... It requires me. Are you listening to me? It requires me to endure persecution. And I wonder how many of us took that seriously when we signed up. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So see I'm in good company but that's very little consolation for me. Because it still hurts. All of these things that I have listed about the small gate, what makes it narrow, what makes it difficult, they're so contrary to my nature. Simply put, the narrow gate stands in stark contrast to the humanistic theme of our culture today. The culture that encourages everyone to do whatever comes easiest and most convenient and be proud of it. We'll help them celebrate their perversions. We're encouraged to follow our cravings and our desires and to be faithful and true to ourselves. But Jesus calls us to a countercultural way of life. To the world, it's all about you. Be everything you can be. But to Jesus, it's about being crucified, crucifying self. It's not about you. It's less about you than anything you could imagine. To Jesus, it's about dying to self, self-denial, self-crucifixion. The second thing this passage teaches us is life basically boils down to two choices. And that's what we read in the opening of the DDK. There's two ways. There's not three ways. There's not five ways. There's just, it's just heaven or hell. Listen to all these contrasts that are, that are in the, the Bible. These These two choices are summed up as, metaphorically, two paths to choose from. Two gates entering those paths. A small, narrow gate and a wide, broad gate. And that word, that Greek word for that narrow gate means it's a compressed gate. And the other is this wide gate. So you can see these people trying to crowd through. Funneling down to the small gate. Not a lot of people, but whoever there is, it's a small one. You've got to get in line. So either you're a follower of Jesus or not. You're not kind of a follower of Jesus. There's only two choices. Kind of is not one of three. You're either a follower of Jesus or you're not. You're either a Christian or you are not. You're not kind of Christian. Two choices. Very cut and dried, very clear. You're either right or you're wrong. You're not kind of in between. You're either on the narrow road or you're on the broad road. You're not riding the fence. And we see in Scripture that the language is so clear, cut and dried, large or small, broad or narrow, life or death, many or few. And Jesus, all apologetically, frames life into these two options. You're either saved or lost. You're on the road to heaven or you're on the road to hell. 
And if I would take a vote today, how many of you believe you're on the road to heaven? I would hope, I would think that all of you would raise your hands. But then when you look at your lifestyle, is it congruent with, is it in agreement with being on the narrow path, making the hard choices, living a life that is disciplined? Because we are too tempted to want to believe in gray areas. We want to be in the gray area. We don't want the discipline, but we don't want hell either. I'm telling you, there's only two choices. Get in or get out. Christ and Christ alone is the narrow gate. Everything else, everybody else is the wide gate. And Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. Now in Luke 13, somebody asked Jesus, just out of the clear blue sky, They said, are there going to be just a few people saved? And Jesus replied in the 24th verse, exert every effort to enter through the narrow door. See how this relates to our other passage. Because, I tell you, many will try to enter and will not be able to enter in. So the Sermon on the Mount, is not just a nice treatise to teach people how to play nice with people. It's not just a guideline for living together in a community and how to get along and treating one another with respect. If you you take this just as a guideline for life and say this is, we ought to adopt this and we ought to live like this, you're missing the whole point. This is not just about learning how to live a decent life or be decent to people. This is about learning how to be a disciple of Jesus and follow him. And then as a result of that, this is what kind of a lifestyle you will live. But you can't just adopt this and live this and think this is going to get me to heaven because I'm doing those things. The Sermon on the Mount cannot be separated from the person who delivered it. It's about Jesus. It's about following him. The third thing this passage teaches us is something about the final judgment. Because whenever we're reading this about the narrow gate and the broad gate, the narrow way, the broad way, Jesus saying that the Broadway terminates in destruction, hell, judgment. Now we've been introduced to the concept of final judgment. There's a lot of opinions about hell. We have typically believed that hell is a real place of real punishment of eternal punishment. But then we've got some of the more popular trends today believe in in annihilation. And even though you're separated from God, once you get to hell, you're just burnt, destroyed, annihilated. And and it's the end. There's, There's nothing more for you. You're gone. You're over. You're done. No, there's no existence. There's no sensation. You're just judged and crispy critter it's over we've always believed that hell and i'm using the term very 
sloppily because we know that hell is te technically different from the lake of fire. But if you'll pardon me just for shortening this for the sake of conversation, we've always believed that hell was an eternal abode of ongoing, unrelenting punishment. But it doesn't matter at this point, for the purpose of this point, what people believe about hell, as long as they are at least in agreement that hell is to be despised and shunned and avoided and heaven is to be gained. At least we agree that that's the bad and this is the good. And that's the point that I, I want to be able to get to today, that Jesus is saying the narrow path leads to what you want. You want heaven. The wide path leads where you don't want to go. By any measure, you just don't want to go there. And we're being, we're being restricted today, or people are trying to restrict us in, in preaching the truth, that they don't want to hear about hell anymore. There's a mentality that's, that's invading Christianity today that you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to scare people into heaven. And it, it goes back to maybe some of the uh, concepts they had of, of wild-eyed preachers who were preaching hell hot and furious and, and going around telling everybody, instead of telling them Jesus loved them, telling them, you're going to hell. And maybe there was something very clumsy about that too. But... It seems like when we reach one extreme, we always bounce back to the other extreme. Now the extreme is, let's don't talk about hell. Let's just talk about Jesus loves you. And let's encourage them. Let's woo them in with heaven candy. Let's make them want to follow God. I personally believe you use whatever tools in your bag is necessary for the moment. Some people need to understand, you keep going, sir. You're going to burn for eternity. Do you understand that? There have been many a people that have hit the altar because they just didn't want to go to hell. But it doesn't work with everybody. Some people are compelled. Come to Jesus just because they are overwhelmed by the sensation and the understanding, the revelation that God loves them so much. I don't think we have to put either one of those away. I think whatever it takes to help awaken people to the reality that you have to gain heaven and you have to avoid hell. Now, we had a lady in our church when I was growing up that we used to have testimony service. How many of you have all ever been involved in a testimony service? Can I see your hand? Maybe, maybe most of you, half of you. Uh, that's, that's what we used to do in, in the earlier uh, days of Pentecost uh, in the 1900s, at least what I was associated with, and, and for years before. When, when you didn't want to have to study too hard for a sermon on Sunday night is you said, well, let's just have testimony service. And everybody gets to stand up and say a little something. Well, we had one lady in our church who had a, a testimony. It was about the same every time, but it, she was a precious, precious lady. And she always ended up her testimony, I thank God that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That was her phrase. Well, here I am, 61 years old, and I cannot forget now, I don't remember all the sermons that my pastor preached, but I remember the testimony of that lady. I thank God there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. 
Now, it's, it's just that simple, people. You don't want to go to hell. You do want to go to heaven. What gets you going? What gets you excited? What gets you inspired? What makes you want to wake up every single day and set your focus on pleasing God? Is it because you don't want to go to hell? That's okay. If that's what motivates you. If you're less concerned about that, but you're more concerned about he died for me and I owe it to him. And so you got this great sense of debt and gratitude and that motivates you. That's okay. Whatever it is, just don't forget. It's real simple. It's heaven or hell. Make your choice. Jesus alludes to the final judgment. It's going to come for every person who ever lived. We must all stand before God. And there's no escaping that. You can't get out of it. You will be there. There are no excuses. Regardless of what you prefer to believe, everyone shall stand before God. This passage speaks about accountability. Jesus calls us. He invites us. He compels us. The Holy Spirit pleads with us. But then Christ warns us of the consequences of ignoring His invitation, of ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. You, my friend, you are free to choose, but choices have consequences. You are foolish not to choose to follow Jesus. There is no other way into the kingdom. The final thing this passage teaches us is the centrality of Jesus. He calls us to enter the gate, to come to him. He is the gate. He is calling us. He's not calling us to a better moral life. He is calling us to himself. He is not calling us to religion with strict disciplines. He is calling us to himself. He's not calling us to set a to adopt a set of rules for peaceful coexistence. He is calling us to himself. He's not calling us to be students of a moral code. He's calling us to himself. Follow me. That's what he's calling. That's what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. Come, follow me. Not just telling people, go find a discipline somewhere where you can be a decent person. He's saying, follow me. There is no other way. You have to follow me. I know the way. I'll get you there, but you can't get there without me. Follow me. Follow me. Would you bow your heads?